Well, good morning, Lover's Lane. You, you can also respond with good morning. Good morning, Lover's Lane. It's going to be fine. I know I'm not Stan. I know we're all a little freaked out because I'm shorter and I have better hair, but it's going to be fine. I promise. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Carrie Lynn Lucas, and I, for the last nine months, have been your Perkins, one of your Perkins interns here at Lover's Lane. Um, my friend Randall Lucas is actually over preaching in Crosswalk this morning, so it's intern day at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, and you are stuck with me. Whether you're joining us here in person or whether you're joining us online or whether you're listening to this sometime later in the week, we are so glad that one way or another you have decided to join us here at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. Our scripture text from this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And as is our um, custom and tradition out of reverence for God's word, would you please stand in body or spirit as you are able? Hear now the word of God through Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. You may be seated. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series that we have titled Recover. We're spending the seven weeks of the Easter tide season, that's the season between Easter and Pentecost, talking through the 12 steps of recovery that's made famous by Alcoholics Anonymous. Now you might be thinking, I'm not an addict, I don't need the 12 steps. But what's been really interesting in looking through these 12 steps is I've seen and our other pastors and staff have seen how all of us can really engage with our relationship with God in a better way through the 12 steps. As most of you know, Lover's Lane United Methodist Church has a rich history with recovery ministry. Since its inception nearly 75 years ago, this church has always been about welcoming those whom other spaces may not welcome. Our work with those in recovery from all kinds of addictions, hurts, habits, and hang-ups continues to this very day. Between our Celebrate Recovery ministry led by Don Anderson and grief groups and the 12-step ministry across the street, nearly 1,000 people every week get recovery from some sort of addiction or, as Celebrate Recovery says, a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up through a ministry or an extension of Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. So this morning, we're going to turn our focus to step three of the 12 steps. And step three is really the culmination of steps one and two. And if you missed Scott Gilliland's sermon on steps one and two, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. He did a wonderful job. But we'll review step one and step two to get us all 
caught up this morning. So step one says this. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, I am just a few short days away from graduating with my master's degree from SMU, but I do have a small brain and I like to talk fast, so I'm gonna boil down these sentences to smaller sentences for my small brain and my fast mouth. So do me a favor and repeat after me. I am really small. That's step one. Admitting that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors, that our lives have become unmanageable, we are very small. Step two says this. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now repeat after me. God is really big. And this morning, we turn our focus to step three. Step three says this. We made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God, or as I like to say, a really small me needs a really big God. Say that with me. A really small me needs a really big God. Step three is the combining of the first two steps. It's the work that has to be done before any of the other work of recovery can even begin. We admit that we are small, we admit that God is big, and then we admit that really small us needs really big God. We admit that we need to lean on God. For my super united Methodist friends in the room, this is the moment of justification that has to happen before sanctification can begin. It's the surrender of our lives and our wills over to the care of God because that is what is truly best for our lives. <coughs> that surrender is the most difficult part. Have you ever thought about when you first surrendered your life and your will over to the care of God? <coughs> Do me a favor, if you surrendered your life and your will over to the care of God more than 30 years ago. Raise your hand. Loud and proud, yeah, come on, where are my saints at? Here we go, more than 40 years ago, keep your hand up. More than 50? More than 60? Whoo, my saints, what is up, my goodness. And ever since that moment, you've surrendered your life and your will to God over and over and over again, right? That's the Christian journey. Surrender is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Romans 12. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remember, the community in Rome at the time is full of both Jewish and Gentile Christians. And the word sacrifice meant something very different to the Jewish Christians than it did the Gentile Christians. Paul tells the people that this really important thing of sacrifice, this thing that only priests did, that only happened in the Holy of Holies, that only happened once a year, this really important spiritual discipline is now within their very selves. 
And not only is it within the very selves of the Jewish Christians, but it's also in the very selves of those people, of the Gentile Christians. And this community in Rome is having conflict between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians. But Paul says, each of you is a holy and living sacrifice. Paul urges this community to uphold their very selves, their physical bodies, as significant as the sacrifices, as significant as the most holy moment of their tradition. Paul urges the community to turn their lives and their wills over to the care of God. Paul urges the community through step three of the 12 steps. Paul continues his appeal in Romans 12. In verse 2, remember, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Now, growing up in the church, I heard this verse really misused a lot. At different uh, camps and retreats, especially as a youth, people have used this verse to tell me why I cannot enjoy what culture deems as the secular, because that would be conforming to the world. People interpret this verse to say that we can't enjoy the secular. Here's what I mean by this. In order to not be conformed to the world, people would interpret this verse to say that we can't enjoy things like great and wonderful movies, like Marvel's three-hour extravaganza, Avengers Endgame, which I've seen twice already in the last two weeks, because if I saw it, I would be conforming to the world. In order to not be conformed to the world, some people use this text to say, wow, you can't enjoy incredible, brilliant TV shows like MASH or The West Wing or This Is Us. Because if you watch those shows, you're going to be conforming to the world. In order to not be conformed to the world, people like to interpret this verse to say why we can't enjoy music that isn't written for Christian or worship purposes like Bon Jovi, Garth Brooks, Billie Halliday, Taylor Swift, and Beyonce. Because listening to them would be conforming to the world. Does conforming to the world really mean that we have to give up the secular? Obviously, I disagree with this interpretation. I listened to Beyonce on the way here this morning. I don't think that that's what Paul is really concerned with in this verse. Paul tells the church in Rome that they are to be transformed by the renewing of their minds so that they can discern the will of God. He tells them that they need to find the ways to tune in to how God is speaking to them. And that might be outside of the ways in which God has spoken to them before. For the Jewish Christians, this meant looking outside of the customs, outside of the traditions, outside of what they had known to see the ways in which God is speaking to them. For the Gentile Christians, it meant joining a community in which they were previously not allowed to be part of so that they might be able to hear how God was speaking to them. Paul tells the church in Rome to turn their lives and their wills over to the care of God. Just like step three of the 12 steps calls for people to turn their lives and their wills over to the care of God. Now I want to jump back to this idea of the secular in our world. 
Have you ever thought about how God shows up in the secular? I actually preached about this last week. I had the privilege to appear before Crosswalk to preach about the first two steps of the, ste- of the 12 steps of recovery, and I compared it to a Frankie Valley song. The song, Who Loves You to Me, speaks about how God loves us, how God would do anything for us, how God is always there for us. And unfortunately for you, this week I could not get that idea out of my head. I know God speaks to you in so many ways. God speaks to you when you engage in things like scripture and prayer and in your devotional time. Maybe you've even experienced recovery through things like that. God helps you recover, maybe for some of you, later when we come to this communion table this morning. That's where God speaks to you. Or God speaks to you in the ways in which you serve this congregation. And maybe even God speaks to you in the ways in which you give to our capital campaign. You're welcome, Donna. God speaks to us in these sacred things. But God also speaks to us in the secular things. Personally, God speaks most clearly to me through music that is not written by Christians, for Christians, or for the worship of God. God speaks to me through secular music. God renews my mind for the secular, with the secular so that I may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and maybe even, yes, what is perfect. God helps me recover from my hurts, my habits, and my hang-ups through secular music. Lean On Me is a popular song written by Bill Withers. He wrote it in the 1970s when he moved from his small hometown tight-knit community out to California to try to make it big in the music business. He wrote the lyrics of the song in the midst of homesickness and the need to be part of the place that raised him once more. The song Lean On Me represents the body of Christ. The song Lean On Me represents step three of the 12 steps, making a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. The song Lean On Me represents the church. And when I say the word church, don't hear me wrong. I don't mean just you all. I don't mean just Lover's Lane. I don't even mean just the United Methodist Church. But when I say the word church, I mean the thing that you affirm when you say the Apostles' Creed. The holy, little c, Catholic, universal church. Lean on me represents what Paul talks about in the last half of our text for this morning. Remember Romans 12, verses 3 through 5 say this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one another. Now, I'm about to read you the lyrics of Bill Withers' Lean On Me, but I want you to think about it in context of those verses from Paul. Perhaps maybe even this morning, 
we can hear the word of God through Bill Withers. Hear now these words. You just call on me, brother or sister, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you will understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me when you're not strong, and, you, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long until I'm going to need somebody to lean on. If there is a load that you have to bear, that you can't carry, I'm right up the road, and I'll share your load. This week, I noticed something very interesting about the 12 steps of recovery. And if I have any grammar nerds in the room, perhaps you noticed it too. Each of the 12 steps of recovery is written in the plural form. They use we and us language. The 12 steps of recovery are never meant to be done alone. They are meant to be done in community. And what better community than the body of Christ? What better community than a community that says to one another the words of Bill Withers, lean on me when you're not strong? What better a community than the community that says to one another the words of Paul, we who are many are one body in Christ? What better community than that of the church? A community that is about to share in the Lord's table. And I think about this table. This is a community that welcomes all to the table. There are labels that we put on people like alcoholic, addict, divorced, liar, cheater, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, immigrant, old, young. And at this table, those labels don't matter. At this table, you are none of those things. At this table, we only have two requirements. The first is that you lean on God. The second is that you say the Christian community can lean on you as well. Yesterday, our Christian community, our universal church, lost a brilliant theologian too early by the name of Rachel Held Evans. Without Rachel's witness, our universal church would be missing a lot of people. We would have less people to lean on. Rachel Held Evans had a passion for those who ran from the church because they were hurt by the church one way or another. Through her writings and her use of social media, she made disciples. And if you go and you look on social media, you can see testimony after testimony after testimony of people who came to turn their lives and their will over to the care of God because of the words of Rachel Held Evans. Without the words of Rachel Held Evans, I myself would not be in this pulpit this morning. 
And I think about her this morning as we take communion. Rachel Held Evans had much to say about the body of Christ. She believed in this community. She believed this to be a place where we say to one another, lean on me when you're not strong. In one of her books, she had this to say. We need to stop building churches around categories and build them around people. Rachel believed in a church where we all surrender our lives and our wills over to the care of God. But Rachel Held Evans also believed that this is a community where we say to one another, lean on me. Now this morning, if you'll notice again, grammar nerds, the communion liturgy in which we are about to read together is also written in the plural form. It says we and it says us. We are going to pray that the Holy Spirit would make these elements for us, the body of Christ, so that we may be the body of Christ in the world. This morning, as you come forward to this table, you come forward in a community. And I'm going to offer a little challenge. When you come forward to this communion table this morning, I hope that you might just put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you as a way of saying, you can lean on me. Because this morning, as you come forward to the table, you are surrendering your life and your will to the care of God. But you are not alone. This morning, we do that together. Amen.